Hey guys, welcome in. I'm sure you've noticed a few things are different about this episode already, and you're going to notice a lot more in the very near future. What you have stumbled upon is the very first chapter of Sandu Stories, where we take a true event, usually unsolved or mysterious, and bring it to you as accurately as possible in the form of a story, with actors and all. I think you're going to like it. Oh, by the way, there is a tiny bit of bad news. Only the first three chapters will be available for free. After that, the series will be exclusively on Patreon. But it's not like I'm going to leave you on a cliffhanger or with half the story. Each chapter will be a new story entirely, unless otherwise specified. I'm saying this out loud on the first episode to bind myself in a contract as well. And so it's dual purpose. It's keeping you informed and holding myself accountable. All right, folks, let me go warm up my narrator voice. I'll see you all on the other side. Sometimes I don't, and this shit gets real But we know that's how you like it Cause the way it makes you feel Sandu stories Based on truth, but some things are exaggerated Sandu stories Been waiting on you, and we're so glad you made it Sandu stories Based on truth, but some things are exaggerated Sandu stories Been waiting on you Grover Bud Lee Cecil Jr. had only been the store manager for about eight months now, but he knew this same closing routine like the back of his hand. Wait for all the customers to leave the store, clean and prepare for the next day, then count the money, empty the trash, and it's home free. But tonight was a little different. At the end of the night, it wasn't just like usual. A cleaning crew was also waiting on the store to clear as the old below store was finally having the floors redone. But there was something else in the store that no one was aware of. As Bud felt the key turn and the door lock, he looked up and peered out the front windows of the store with an almost panoramic view of the evening sky. He was proud of his store, but ready to get home, and totally unaware of what he had just locked inside the store with him. It was late spring, June 6th, 1993, and at closing time, which was 6 p.m., the sun was still pretty bright, but it sat on the horizon ready to disappear the moment you stopped paying any attention. Bud wanted to get home and spend the last few minutes of daylight with his wife and kids. His scheduled cashier, Joyce Coburn Reason, she was 36 years old. She was also a mother of two. She too was following her usual closing routine of balancing out her drawer and cleaning her area. The small town grocery store had really been empty all day. It was a Sunday, and in the town of Windsor, North Carolina, 
with a population that balanced somewhere around 3,000, most of the folks of this particular area had already done their shopping for the week and were now home preparing to return to the grind on Monday morning. Bud smiled at Joyce as he passed and made known he was heading to the back to finish up. He was only halfway down the aisle when he heard Joyce call his name. Bud, can you come here for a minute? He figured she had forgotten to give him something to take to the back or perhaps one of the cleaning crew members was looking for him. But when he turned and saw Joyce standing, still behind the register, now with a stranger in front of her, he swiftly turned and headed in their direction. As he assumed it was a customer that had somehow got overlooked and was now locked in. But as he got closer, he could see the concern on Joyce's face and a knot formed in his stomach like nothing he had ever felt before. The man started to turn in Bud's direction, and that's when Bud saw it. A shiny metallic shape that was unmistakable and the store manager's worst nightmare. The man was holding a 45 caliber pistol aimed right at the poor cashier. Bud instantly tried to de-escalate the situation, but the stranger was calm and collected and seemed to know what he wanted. The gun-branding stranger led the pair to a cash office in the front of the store by a customer service area. He instructed them to fill a canvas bag with all the money in the office. Bud complied and began filling the bag with cash and banknotes till it was all gone, and the grand total being only $3,000. Bud had done as the man had asked, hoping that if he got what he wanted, he would leave soon and release him and Joyce, so this whole ordeal would be over. But unfortunately, this nightmare was only getting started. Instead of turning and making an exit now, since he had what he allegedly had come for, the man ordered Bud and Joyce back out into the store. They headed towards the back, where the cleaning crew was gathered waiting to get started for the night. The four-man crew consisted of Jasper Hardy Jr., his brother Thomas E. Hardy, Johnny Rankins Jr., and Sylvester Welch Jr., all in their 40s. As the gunman led Bud and Joyce towards three of the men, Jasper Hardy Jr. recalled Bud and Joyce having a, quote, strange look on their faces. Bud was the first to speak, saying, Hey, y'all, listen up. Do what he says. He means business. And it was then that the three men realized that the strange look was that of fear. Realizing the stranger was following Bud and Joyce with a gun, the men slowly raised their hands, and an unspoken understanding was made. He... This strange man with a forty-five pointed at them was in charge. And they, the group, only wanted to get out of this alive. It was just then that something strange happened. The gunman looked at the group and said, Where's the other one? He had noticed that there were only three cleaning crew members there, and that the fourth was missing. He had either known this before coming that night, or had been at the store long enough to see the cleaning crew before taking a hiding spot in order to avoid being found when the employees were locking up. The fourth member was summoned by one of the other members, as the gunman had ordered him to. When he had all six employees lined up, they were now against a meat counter in the deli. The man ordered them to march single file to the back of the store. He made them turn down the pet aisle, and as he walked by the shelves, he grabbed a handful of colorful dog leashes. 
They each passed through the large, swinging plastic doors with the small, square window. You know which ones I'm talking about. You know, so you can look through it, make sure you're not going to bump into someone. But there was no one to bump into. The six people who were in the store were all now lined single file in the back of the store, their backs against the wall, quite literally. The man was eerily calm still, as if he had done this before, or perhaps was so confident in his actions he had no reason to falter, or maybe he had studied and practiced this moment till it was like second nature. It was as if he prepared for it, prepared for what was coming next. The man pulled out a roll of duct tape and, along with the dog leashes, tossed it on the floor and ordered the group to tie each other up. He watched, one by one, and if they hesitated, he would push the barrel of the forty-five against their temple and threaten to end their existence instead. Eventually, all six of them were bound. He then stacked the group, two at a time, on the floor. There were three groups now, each one had one person laying on top of the other. The group thought at this time, the man would turn and disappear, only ever being seen again when they had nightmares of this horrible night at work. But instead they heard the man speak, and what he said instantly made the group aware of what their fate was. The rough, calm, deep voice spoke, and in the metal room, it echoed off the walls like a curse being uttered by a witch. May God forgive me for what I'm about to do. The gun fired three shots, one into each of the groups. The shots mortally wounded Bud, Joyce, and Johnny Rankins Jr., the gunman had hoped that he could kill all six of them with just these three bullets. This really didn't seem calm and prepared. Brothers Jasper Hardy Jr. and Thomas Hardy were still unharmed at this time. Welch had been shot in the back, but very cleverly stayed put as still as he could. Jasper Hardy Jr. recalled later feeling the bullet hit the person laying on top of him. The man was now hovering over a growing pool of blood, either out of ammo or with a gun he couldn't unjam. Without saying anything, the man turned and exited through the door, but the group remained frozen, not even speaking. They can hear some clangs and bangs in an adjoining room, then footsteps that grow louder and louder. He was coming back. Why? Why would this monster not just leave? The Hardy brothers looked at each other, but couldn't find the words. They could barely even process what had just happened. This is Windsor, North Carolina. This kind of stuff doesn't happen here. This stuff happens in movies, or perhaps books written by a morbid, crime-obsessed author of some kind. The man's silhouette reappeared in the doorway. And as it did, a gleam of light hit the eyes of the brothers, and they could see that he had grabbed a large knife from the meat room which again made it seem like he knew this store and its routines, or had done his homework before coming that night. The man approached Thomas Hardy, and he knelt down face to face with him, and he asked, Are you going to tell the police? Thomas responded quickly, 
No, uh, of, of course not. I, I won't tell anyone anything. anything. At that instance, something in the man changed. The man who had been calm and level-headed became something else. It was as if the last bit of humanity had just left his body. The man became enraged and in one motion grabbed Thomas by the hair and slid the knife across his throat. Thomas was instantly covered in his own blood. But the man did not stop there. He began to stab Thomas multiple times, only stopping when he plunged the knife so hard and forcefully into the man's back that the blade broke off inside him. Thomas's hands were bound the entire time. He was helpless and vulnerable and this monster seemed stone cold to that with each thrust of the knife. Jasper Hardy Jr. was also still bound and was unable to stop him. Unable to help his brother, all he could do was watch as this animal brutally attacked him. Sorrow could not begin to describe what he felt. There are no words for that feeling. The deep helplessness you are thrust into when you're witness to something you cannot stop or intervene. There is something only then in that hole, the blackness all around you, where time is almost frozen and you want it to move. You want this moment to move so far from your mind you forget about it forever. But as Jasper's mind began to flee, attempting to outrun reality, he was quickly pulled back when that face was inches from his. The man had now turned to Jasper. He was sweaty and covered in blood, a complete change from the calm, seemingly prepared man that came in earlier. He was so close to Jasper that he could feel the man's hot breath on his face. His face. <laughs> he probably wouldn't even recognize his own self if he was looking right into a mirror right now. His face was covered in tears, Snot and blood. So much blood. He broke the man's gaze and stared at the floor. I don't know you. I, I, I ain't saying anything. Jasper is finally able to mutter. The man stands slowly, as if he had just won a championship boxing match and was about to receive his trophy. He was still staring down at Jasper. He took a deep breath as if a switch had just been disengaged and now he had been set to stun mode instead of killing Rampage. The man took a step backwards, but never broke his gaze at Jasper. I'm going to let you live, big man. You're going to be a hero. He spoke as if granting life to Jasper was his right, as if he were God passing judgment, and Jasper had narrowly escaped his brother's fate. Jasper was still frozen on the floor. The man had now proven that he was completely unpredictable, and ready to do whatever necessary. Jasper's mind raced. He could still kill me. What, what could I do? My, my hands and feet are tied. I can't even stand up for Christ's sake. He offered what comfort he could to his brother, who lay bleeding to death in the middle of the floor. The stranger turned and picked up the bag of money. He was still holding the knife he had broken off in Thomas's back. And he also stepped over Bud's body and grabbed the store keys before turning and walking out the door without another word. This time Jasper did not even breathe until he knew for sure the man was gone, and even then he couldn't do much anyways. While all this was unfolding, Sylvester Welch Jr., who had been shot in the back but remained alive and as calm as possible,
was able to remove the tape from his wrist. The blood had soaked the tape so much it loosened the adhesive, and he was able to free himself. He then dragged himself, bleeding from a gunshot wound, all the way to the front of the store. He grabbed a phone and dialed 911. Timestamp for the 911 call? 3.25 p.m. When police arrived, Bud, Joyce, and Johnny Rankin were dead on arrival. Welch and Thomas Hardy were in critical condition and taken to a nearby hospital where they both had extensive stays but were able to make full recoveries. Jasper Hardy Jr. was fortunate enough to make it out unharmed. Well, at least physically. The stranger had spared his life, but he had stolen his brother, and so much more. Thank you for joining us this evening for Sandu News. The description given of the man was that of a black male, slendered 6 foot to 6 foot 2, 175 to 200 pounds, with a short military style haircut, medium complexion, and a distinct nose bridge that they believed was the result of a sports injury. Fingerprints and shoe prints were found along with DNA, but nothing came of it. No matches have ever been made. Initially, it was thought to be a robbery gone wrong, but police believe now that this is not his first time committing a crime of this nature. The man had a sometime during the night told the groups he was recently a fired officer that had been fired after a drug deal went south, that he had nothing left to lose. Officers from the surrounding areas were all ruled out, including those recently fired or retired. Some believe the man said this just to throw police off, or just to make the group feel more at ease. But it seems to me he wasn't really worried about their comfort. Police did receive calls about a white car speeding off with Maryland license plates, just moments after the killings are believed to have happened. It was headed north on Route 17 in the direction of Maryland, and this is only 200 miles between, so it's possible that is not someone local and instead someone just passing through. I'm <laughs> prone to speculating on this newscast, apparently. Many of the witnesses said there was a second person in the vehicle, so it's possible there was a partner, a getaway driver. Still speculating. <clears throat> the Below murderer has never been caught. This case has never been solved and the small town of Windsor, North Carolina, was awake to the violence of the world on that Sunday evening. And they realized there was a killer among them, and that it could even be one of them. Sorry about that, I wouldn't have been so dramatic if I knew there was more. A $30,000 reward is still offered for information leading to an arrest in this case. If you have any information that can help, you can direct it to the Windsor Police Department, 252-794-3111, or the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation. 800-334-3000. That's 800-334-3000. Da. Alright guys, so that's it. That's chapter one of Sandu Stories. And remember, like I said at the beginning, uh, the first three chapters will be available on these free platforms. But after that, this will be a Patreon exclusive only. So, speaking of Patreon, patreon.com slash podcast is where you guys can sign up for just three bucks a month. I want to give a big shout out to Nick Watts, who's joined in the last week. Appreciate it, Nick. Jumped on at the $5 tier up in Canada. I'll be sending you a sticker uh, very, very soon, sir, if it's not already on its way. I'm great at keeping up with those things. Um, another way to help the show, guys, is leave a review. Leave a review wherever you listen. Uh, click five stars or write me a little something, and I will give you a shout on the show. 
Also, check out merch, truecrimeguys.threadless.com. There is some strange and unexplained designs on there. I believe there's two. I just saw that someone purchased a uh, strange and unexplained poster mock-up t-shirt or tank top today. I saw it in the email, so pretty stoked about that. We sold a couple of those. Those are pretty dope. It's a, it's a design that I made that looks like a uh, like a band poster, almost, for Strange and Unexplained. Um, in the background picture is like a heavily filtered picture of actually my daughter with a mask on, her Halloween mask, uh, is where that picture actually came from. So appreciate that, guys. We, all, we appreciate all the merch purchases and any way that you support the show and True Crime Guys Productions. All right, so hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Let me know. Uh, hit me up on social media. Send me an email at sandupodcast at gmail.com. Let me know goods, bads, things you liked, cases you would like to hear us uh, break down for you in this story format. Let us know. All right, guys, I really can't think of anything else to put in this episode. Nope, nothing. I think I'm going to go ahead and wrap it up. Yep. Put a bow on it. I think that's good. All right, can we cut it? Let's go ahead and cut it. Cut. What What are you doing? What is this? What is this that's playing? Oh, no. You, seriously? You, you gotta, gotta get the... Whatever. Just play the damn synopsis then. Play it. I don't care. It's time for It's not Lauren. a regular episode, Lauren. It's time for Lauren synopsis. Breaking down the case like... Break it down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren synopsis. Break it down the case like. Break it down the case like cardboard boxes. It's time for Lauren. It's time for Lauren synopsis. Break it down the case like. Break it down the case like cardboard boxes. What's up, people? Lauren here. Here to get my thoughts on this week's Strange and Unexplained. The Below Grocery Store Murders from 1993 in Windsor, North Carolina, a small town, was shaken up by a robbery that coincided with a bizarre set of murders um, at the Below Grocery Store on Sunday night at closing time, 6 p.m. The store's being closed up by the manager and the cashier, and they also had a cleaning crew that would come on Sunday nights to kind of prepare the store for the following week. A group of four men came to the store that night at closing time. They were going to be you know, cleaning after the store was closed. Um, little did they know though, uh, that even after closing up doors to the grocery store, there was a man inside that had been hiding out in the back. This man had a gun, a 45 caliber pistol. He came out and caught the cashier by surprise and told the cashier to get the attention of the manager. They then headed back to the back of the store, gathering the cleaning crew on their way. And this man had complete control of this group of people. Um, I think had they known his intentions, they would have fought. Hope I would hope it, it's really sad to me that they didn't realize what he was doing. Like they obviously thought this was just a robbery that he was going to take money from the store and be on his way. Um, that the gun was just there to control the situation. However, he had murderous intentions as we now know, because there were six of them. There was one man with a gun and I think the, the gun only had three bullets, honestly, it, judging by what he does. So they easily, in my opinion, could have taken him out. Even if one person was shot in the process, it would have been a whole lot better than the outcome. But of course, you don't know the future. You don't know what this guy's up to. And more time, more often than not, um, a robber is going to take the money and be on their way if there's no fight. But uh, 
as we've learned so many times in our other podcast, True Crime Guys, if a bad person uh, is trying to take you from a location to another location, though that situation usually doesn't end well. If they're if they just want the money, they're going to get the money uh, and be on their way. But when they're when they're relocating you, when they want you to get in a car and take you to another location, things like that, that's when it's time to fight. But um, there's obviously he was taking them to the back to get to the safe. Um, so there was no really cause for concern. He just wanted to, as far as they were concerned, he wanted to keep them all together. Um, he did, however, grab some dog leashes off the shelf on the way, which I think should have been a, definitely a cause for concern. Um, when they got back there, very bizarre set of, uh, circumstances. He stacks them on another, uh, in sets of twos. So there's six people and he stacks, one person on another in sets of three all side by side and proceeds to say something along the lines of, you know, may God forgive me for what I'm about to do, and then fires around into each group, uh, one bullet per two people, uh, which was not as effective as he had hoped, I'm thinking, because three people ended up living out of the six, uh, and one walked away completely unscathed. Uh, another would have had he not resorted to using another weapon, a knife. Uh, very uh, cold-hearted, calculated, kind of clumsy uh, crime here. But at the same time, this is a killer. This is someone who I find it hard to believe has not killed before this and most likely has killed afterwards as well. We have a psychopathic serial killer, in my opinion, because you did not need to do this. He got $3,000 out of the safe. He got everything the grocery store had. Um, no one recognized this, this person. I, I have a feeling that this guy was not a local to this small town. He was a drifter. Um, he said that he was a cop that had gotten fired and he had nothing to lose. I don't buy that. He was maybe ex-military judging by his, you know, his description of him. It was like a crew cut, like a, a close cut hair. And he was in physically in good shape. Um, I do think he had three bullets only. Uh, it's the only thing that explains the stacking in, in sets of twos like that. And the fact that he didn't continue to fire, you know, after firing the three shots, he basically un, uh, detached the groups from another and laid them all out. And that's when he proceeded to slash the throat and stab one of the cleaning men um, after saying that he didn't believe that he wasn't going to talk to police. And then he decided to altogether let one man walk away um, and said that it's your lucky day, big guy. Very creepy. Um, as I said, it sucks that this group of people didn't realize that, you know, he intended to kill them and that his gun only had three bullets because they, they could have taken this situation over with six people. Uh, but yeah, I don't think this guy's ever going to be found unless they're able to, I do believe they have his DNA. So we can hope for the best as far as, uh, you know, one of these, uh, genealogy situations like the Golden State Killer where, you know, someone in his, his someone close to him like, uh, in his family lineage submits their DNA and they find a close match and they're able to, you know, connect some dots in regards to that person's DNA and find out who this, this was. I think that's the only hope. Obviously this thing's 1993. We're talking 30 years old now. So it's, uh, I think this was a guy that came through town. He was a killer, probably a serial killer. Um, and it was clearly about more than money because he didn't need to hurt these people. He could have gotten the money and been out of there kept him tied up, duct taped, whatever, uh, did not need to do what he did. So that's my thoughts. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, see you next week.
Are you done now? <laughs>